0: Let's uh, open our Bibles, if you would, to Acts chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, we have uh, Bibles for you. Our ushers are coming down the aisle. If you just simply lift up your hand, keep it up high enough for them to spot you, they'll give you uh, a copy. Acts chapter 1. I think the page number is 590, 591, something like that for uh, the Bible that we're giving you. We are not going to do a lot of what I would call classic Bible study because today is a topic, and I'll explain in a little bit why, but I do want to use Acts uh, chapter 1 and chapter 2 to kind of get us in the game, and so that's why I want you to go there and just hover there. There's some key words and thoughts and and behaviors in the early church that we want to use as kind of a a launching pad into our discussion this morning. Um, So everybody have one? Good. Good. I'm gonna give you my top five most anticipated days in my life. Not that you care, but it's what I'm gonna do. So, um, one was Christmas 68, 1968. I really looked forward to that day for some reason, and I still remember it. Uh, the second one, and I didn't say this so uh, certainly the last hour, and it was a mistake, my wedding in 1984. Um, <laughs> Now, it wasn't intended to sound confused. It just didn't say it with enough confidence, so I want to make sure I fix this before my wife shows up at 4. Uh, so, wedding in 84. Uh, ministry, 1989. I wanted ministry so bad I could taste it, and I would spend most of my nights dreaming, and uh, so in, 80, in 89, God did that. I dreamed about going to Alaska for forever, and a friend of mine goes here, Pat Feenstra, put me in a little plane. and flew me to Alaska, and so I got a chance to get that out of my system. And the fifth event I've anticipated is what we're doing right now. I have prayed for months and months and months and months for this uh, discussion on building a stronger church, and as we're calling it, the essential elements of a strong church. And so I want you to know, a lot has gone into this. I'm excited about it. It's been almost a year that we started the discussion about the transition from Tom Schrader to, to me, and as well as the elders getting together to prayerfully consider, God, what do you want us to do? Because you could just continue stable flight for a long period of time because good things are happening, but I believe that God always has seasons and moments for people, for churches, for congregations to do uh, more things, not necessarily better things, just more things. and so we've been praying and uh, and assessing and and to be honest with you, listening a lot to what God would have us have us do here. And we concluded, by God's grace, there were some things on this list that we felt God wanted us to do that we were currently doing and doing fairly well, and so they're on our list of essential elements. But there were also some things that we assessed that currently probably weren't as strong as we wished they would be. And so we bundled them all together, and we called them the essential elements. And I've already given you kind of the the look at those essential elements. So what we're going to do now is just discuss them. I want to tell you, first of all, why I think it's so important. First of all, this is Christ's church. No kidding, this is important, important stuff. He gave his life to bring life to us, right? He has now given us a call. He's empowered us with the Holy Spirit. There are things to be and things to do. And so he gave everything, preeminent place, for the redemption of his people. So what we do as his people goes way up to the top of the list. So it's really, really important. And so we as elders have been praying and and listening and considering what it is that God has called us to. And and, and we believe that we're close at least for now, and, and, and then I'll just tell you personally, I love you, I really do, and I, I know some of you more than others, but I think about you often, I think about how well you do, and, and how much you are growing in Christ, how much you enjoy the journey in spite of maybe suffering and stuff like that, so it, it's, uh, it's true from my heart to you that I really, really care, and so what we're going to say needs to demonstrate what I think God wants to do with us, because I, I really do care. And so I want to see us in the future continue to grow in Christ, to love each other, and to reach around to the world who doesn't have hope and have the message of hope for them. And in essence, I suppose that's the that's the boiled down version of what it is to live like believers in a world as we wait for our Savior, correct? So that's, that's what we're to talk about. I have also in my mind dreamed this. You can say, well, that's, it is. It doesn't mean anything. In my mind, I see this 10 years old, to be honest with you. And I see what it's like for all of us to get these things at a deeper, more greater level and that they're being lived out. They're they're lived out intentionally. They're lived out passionately. Um, they're lived out practically in the lives of thousands of people. And when that happens, I see us being a much more soft, uh, a, a much more um, serving, faith, prayerful group. So that's what I've been dreaming about, um, and and to be honest with you, if I'm going to make it really simple, these essential elements that we've already given you that I'm going to discuss in the next six weeks, my biggest dream is if someone were to assess this church in five years, ten years, they would use those words to describe us. Man, have you been to Gilbert before? Those people know how to pray, and they believe the word of God, and they serve each other, and they they tell everybody about Christ, and they're not ashamed of it, and they and they know what it is to belong to each other, and it's a wonderful place. If they could use those essential elements to describe us, that's my prayer request. And so if you, if you ever pray for me, if you ever pray for the elders, if you ever pray for this church, you pray that prayer, because that's the one I'm just pushing. I'm pushing all the time. And so for the next five weeks, we're going to spend our time talking about the vision, and... Uh, And I'm going to define that a little bit. Redemption Church is a multi-congregational church that seeks to plant missional... Um, gospel-centered, outward-focused churches in the state of Arizona. That's a big enough vision to keep us busy until I'm long gone. Do you understand? A lot of people. Right now, we have six congregations. There's one in Arcadia. There's one in Gateway. There's one in Tempe, the Gilbert one here. There's one in West Mesa, and there's one in Flagstaff, and, and more to come. And so that vision is a big vision. That's a vision vision about extension and, and things that God wants to do with our influence and our opportunity. But there is a prayer that I pray for us as a congregation. This, this vision of gospel-centered, outward-focused churches is only as strong as each church is strong. Make sense? So wherever we drop the ball in a congregation, then you could say, well, I don't know how helpful that redemption model is. And so I'm passionate about us being what Christ has called us to. And, uh, and so that, therefore, I'm, I am t- talking about the vision for Gilbert, um, not for us just to understand more things. Church, now I need you to listen to me. It is so easy and it is so like us to add to our collection of information, but be tangibly no different of a people. And so what I'm praying for, what I've been praying for, that truth affects lives to such a degree that these things could be said of us. We're no longer content to know we have to, we have to do these things. So it has been our plan. Um, to, to lead by example, uh, to pray and to teach these things up in us as long as it takes to have them lived out in us. Make sense? So let me give you a little bit of an outline of where we're going for the next uh, six weeks as we start this series. Uh, this week we're discussing prayer, God's view of prayer, our need for prayer, why we don't pray. Uh, I'll talk about that in just a little bit more um, Next week, we're talking about the Word of God. It is sharp, it is precise, it does its work, it fosters faith, it does amazing things in the lives of those who believe in it, and so we need to teach it accurately. We need to pray for wisdom and the Holy Spirit's leading, and and so we're going to teach the Word of God. We also, in week three, are going to talk about generosity. And if you've been here for... The last six to eight months, we went through the 4G series together, and I told you I had a fifth G, and here's the fifth G. God is generous, and so we need to be generous too. God gave to poor people to make us a rich people, and so therefore we now walk in faith, and we live that out even with our possessions. And so we're going to talk about generosity from the gospel perspective. And then the week four, we're going to talk about intentional evangelism. And uh, I coined that, as stupid as that might sound, Because I've heard lots of people talk about evangelism and lean into relational evangelism, but don't have the courage or the information to be able to communicate true gospel truth to people. And so we want to get it in us so much so that we're, one, not afraid to tell the truth, and we know it. So that's where we're going with the intentional evangelism. Week five, we're going to talk about community, how God pulled us together to grow corporately. We grow best in small groups, and so we're going to talk about our need to belong to each other and then our service to each other, our care for the body of Christ. And then week six, we won't be teaching anything. We're going to be doing a celebration commitment Sunday. That Sunday, we are praying that uh, for this building expansion, specifically that God would raise all the money that we need for that building. And so I've already prepared for a celebration. I've been praying for eight months for the thing. I believe God's going to answer it through the faithful obedience of God's people. And so we're planning that day just to be celebration. We're going to give and uh, see what God does. So that's the outline of where we're going for the next six weeks. Today, we begin the journey of prayer. Let me... um, just read you a couple of passages. Uh, one in in Acts two forty two. That section there uh, did more to shape East Valley Bible Church now Redemption Gilbert than any particular passage. In Acts uh, two forty two, this is right after the Holy Spirit has come on the early church, right? And they they have seen thousands of people come to Jesus by faith, and now they're they're in the process of being and living out the church. And this is what is described of them in verse forty two. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. To the breaking of bread and, and the prayers. If you back up one chapter to chapter one verse fourteen, I'll give you another little uh, blush at the idea of prayer. This this uh, comment of this group of believers, ragtag, kind of kind of somewhat crippled group of believers, happens right after the ascension of Jesus. So Jesus has has risen. He's revealed himself to his people. He has now ascended, telling him he's got a mission for them to go on. And this is what those people did. Verse fourteen. All these, with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. The word devoted uh, means to remain somewhere, continue steadfastly. It has the idea of intensity of commitment. So, so whatever you want to say about the early church, however much it knew or didn't know, right? it had this connection to prayer and faith. Um, to me, to be honest with you, is a little bit foreign to our culture. There was a commitment, a devotion to prayer and to the teaching of the word, to the breaking of bread and to fellowship. I want to start this kind of conversation just making, uh, to kind of put it in parameters, all right? This is less of a, a specific instruction about prayer, it's more a coaching moment. So if you're a football player and it's, it's, uh, it's summertime and you're getting ready for the fall, the coaches take you outside and they say, gentlemen, this is a football. And they tell you how to tackle and, and uh, how to block. Prayer is one of those basic things for a believer's life like that. No one in here is going to go, wait a minute, you better, you better start teaching on prayer because I'm not certain I believe in prayer. I'm not certain Christians should be praying. I don't have to build a case for prayer because you all know it. But you know prayer in such a way that we do have to, we have to teach in a, a, an encouragement, a motivation, and a faithfulness to prayer. So that's what this morning is all about, to remind you of what you already know and to push into your life an enthusiasm, a commitment, right, this intense commitment that the early church knew in prayer, so much so that we don't leave here knowing just something, we leave here ready to do something, Okay. So I want us to go on this journey together as we, as we unpack this. I'm going to start with the, with the autobiographical disclosure. And I do this because I think some of you can relate. And I hope. Otherwise, I'm going to feel awkward. Um, <laughs> I just want to start with confession. I've never been a man of prayer. What I mean by that is this. I've prayed... But when I read devoted prayer, commitment to prayer, never getting off your knees kind of prayer, praying prayers that are stupid and ridiculous kind of prayers, I've never been that guy. I wondered sometimes, and I've actually thought these things, maybe God didn't give me the personality for a prayer because I'm so driven. I'm on 150% or I'm laying down. Do you know? I'm extreme. And, and I thought, well, maybe maybe it's, just, maybe it's just not me because I'm so driven to do So I've struggled in the past with what I thought was needed for prayer, like discipline. Discipline has always been hard for me. I have great intense moments of hard effort and then is equal rest. I have felt guilt in prayer. I have uh, looked at other people who claim prayer. I've read books about people who pray and I envy them, whatever sinful thing that is. I've looked at him and well, go, why, why can't I have that? Like if you really want me connected to you at such a deep level, why can't I just pray and have you do things that move me to pray more and just to keep asking more? Why, why is this so hard for me and why do I have moments of start and stop? Why do I feel guilty when I pray? I grew up in a pastor's home. My dad was a missionary for some time too and, and he would tell stories and they shame me. He'd tell stories of crazy faith stuff. Don't have any money. Don't have any food. Don't have any place to go. No answers. And so I went to the bedroom, closed the door, and prayed until God did. And he did. And he answered this way specifically. Knock at the door. There was some food. And I go, really? Because I've never seen that. Never once in my life. Maybe I've never been hungry. And, and I look at that, and I go, man, I wish. I mean, I don't want pain. Nobody prays for pain. But I wish I knew faith like that. And so I felt like when people talk about prayer, they're talking about a place that I'd never get to see. I mean, you could describe its colors and how crystal clear the water is, but I'm never going to the Bahamas. I guess I'm just going to have to take your word for it. And so that's somehow I feel about prayer. Do you ever feel, am I the only one in here? Yeah, Yeah, okay. (laughs) You can leave. (laughs) I need some help, brother. Um, Yeah. There are problems we experience with prayer. I wonder sometimes if it's because now, be gentle. I think of the American culture creates problems because we live in a culture of doing and uh, we prize accomplishment. We prize production. We are a get it done people. It's easy to see. It's easy to manage. It's easy to measure. And and if we're not working really hard, we are entertaining ourselves to death. We're watching movies, watching TV. We got smartphones. We're always plugged in. We don't. We're not. We don't have what it takes to be quiet. We're Americans. Paul Miller in his book A Praying Life uses this phrase to describe it. He calls it the kingdom of the noise. That's the world we live in. Another subtle art uh, obstacle to prayer that we I think we all wrestle with, and that is the. The fact that we are, and I don't think this is unique to America, we always overemphasize ourselves. In the story of what God is doing, we are always playing too big of a role. Our needs, our wants, our desires, our hurts, our pains. And so we, and our abilities, we play too big of a role. We overemphasize our intellect, our competency, our wealth. So we can pretty much do this Christian life without God. Now, we would never say that. That's blasphemy but we live it. So our praying seems unnecessary, if that's true. And by the way, we can do whatever God wants to do with money, and money does those things faster than prayer, so let's just give money. And we're so talented, by the way, aren't we? I mean, we got it. We got it going on. We can just anything we want to do. And all of those things, as weird and as ridiculous as they sound, they make us independent of God. They make us live out here confessing a faith in Jesus that says, I can't do anything, you have to do everything, only to have that truth come realized in our life to then live like we can do everything and you can't do anything. It's ridiculous. It's a a switch. And let's be honest here. If we're going to just unpack the problems with prayer, prayer seems weird sometimes to me. I'm being really honest. When we talk about prayer, we use terms and phrases like, it's a communication to God. But it's unlike any communication I have with anybody else. I talk to my wife; she talks back to me. We have a conversation. I understand. She, you know, we work it out, even if it's, even if it's hard. But I talk to God, and somehow these words just float up wherever they go, and I don't necessarily hear something all the time, right? And by the way, if you're a Calvinist, now that's—I don't mean that to be a dirty word. If you believe in the sovereignty of God in salvation, then that messes up your mind about prayer sometimes too, because well, He's in control of all things, and what's the point? I've heard people say that. I think we're a lazy people. Maybe not everybody, but I think it's predominantly a a thing we struggle with. No discipline. My confession is if I start praying within the first minute, my mind is wandering. Just goes. Might even go to good things, but it's not praying. There are times when we pray in order to protect God. Here's what I mean by that. We're afraid to pray those ridiculous ones, the ones that only God can do, because what happens if God doesn't? Doesn't mean he doesn't care. So, when I'm praying for someone who I really, really love, who's really, really sick and they won't live unless God does something special, do I not pray that prayer because I don't want to be disappointed and I don't want to have God become less in my mind? So, is it a real challenge for me to pray ridiculous things, things that you see in the scriptures, because I don't, I can't, my faith can't handle a blow like God not delivering? Sometimes it's unconfessed sin, to be honest with you. It's not that God wanders on us, we wander on God. And so there's this thing that I think every believer will wrestle with, and that is that there's sin we live with too long, and it creates a gap in our intimacy with God, and so we don't pray. Praying makes us feel guilty or condemned or like I need to go fix something to come back. I think prayer is affected by the fact that some of us don't have a right view of prayer. You know, there's so much there's so much being communicated and typically from the wrong people, to be honest with you. It's a health, wealth, rabbit's foot kind of faith. It's like God wants you this way and He wants you, it's a health-wealth gospel, it's a name it, claim it thing, and just all you gotta do is say these things in this way, and you get what you want. And that's not true. And so because we might have believed that for a while or tried it for a while and it doesn't deliver, we quit. And then ultimately this all comes down to a faith issue. Doesn't it? There is a tendency within even the saved human heart to doubt whether God either has an interest in what you're asking, right, or his ability. You would never articulate it that way, but that's, that's part of the reasons down deep why you don't pray, why I don't pray. It's much easier to believe what I can put my hands on than to pray words into the sky to a God I can't see, feel, or touch and say, God, nothing will happen unless you do this And so I adjust my prayers accordingly to things that I will never know or have to know if he does. makes me feel bad about prayer. It doesn't motivate me to pray again because there's no power in it. So, yet in spite of all that, I don't mean that to be a bummer. (laughs) I meant to just kind of give us a foundation of maybe where we share an experience in spite of all the problems and challenges and failures we face in prayer. The scriptures describe a version of prayer that blows my mind and I want, to, I want to read to you, uh, and this is why we're not going to spend some time jumping around in the scriptures. There's just too much on prayer topically to have you follow me. So I want you to listen to these things. I've categorized them in things like power of prayer, intensity of prayer, types of prayer, reasons for prayer. I don't know if I have time to read them all. But let me just give you a sampling of things that the Bible says, that Jesus, our Savior, says for us regarding this idea of prayer. Um, John says this in 1 John chapter 5, this is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that what we have, we asked of him. John 14, Jesus says, and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. In Matthew 21, Jesus, if you believe You will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. Mark 11, again, there was an example of a withered fig tree, and Jesus used that to talk about prayer, and he says, I tell you the truth, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will happen, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you received it, and it will be yours. Now, who said that? Jesus did. And I've read those passages so many times, and there's a part of me, moments of me, okay, God, I'm going to take you at your word, and I rush into prayer. And and I don't think my prayers are that informed, but there's the power, just a sampling of the power in prayer. We know the intensity of prayer. We're told by Paul multiple times to pray without ceasing. Don't ever quit praying. Pray all the time. This Acts 1 passage and Acts 2 passages demonstrates what the early church did Supernaturally or naturally after their conversion, they devoted themselves to the task of praying. And I shouldn't use the word task, but the communication of of praying. Types of prayers are described as broken and humble. The kinds of prayers that God responds to are needy ones. And then we have many, many reasons to pray. The Bible's littered with reasons. Pray that Jesus would send Harvard, the, the workers into the harvest field to bring back the harvest of lost people. Pray for people who are sick. Pray for the needs, whatever they may be, whatever intercession or request you may ask. Pray for kings. Pray for your authorities. Pray for people. Pray for your enemies. The, the list is unlimited of who you pray for so we can pray in power with all the intensity, humble kind of broken prayers for everything. That's what the Bible basically says about prayer. And I just, just mentioned a few things that it says, but I wanted to take you through just a couple of little experiences, okay? One is principles of prayer, things that kind of center us in prayer, and then more that what I would call realities in prayer, like what the Bible specifically says about our hearts and our attitudes when we go into prayer. So as I lay these out, see if they don't ring true to you. Here's the first one in the principles of prayer. It's real clear that the Bible says it's a way for us to connect to God. It's where we experience God. I mentioned this illustration before, but um, those who feel like it's a way to either, it's the rabbit foot God, prayer is only a mechanism to get God to do what I want him to do, and these people aren't interested in God himself, which is always the challenge in our converted faith is to somehow trade in the giver for the gift. We want the things that God gives. We want heaven. We want eternity. We want all the good stuff, but we don't really want God. God, if you could just get out of our way, we'll have all the good stuff that you provide, but we don't see him as the prize. And so even in prayer, it isn't getting what you want or having things work out the way you want them to work out. He is the point of it. It's proximity to God. It's intimacy with him. It's connection to the Father. Somehow, the creator God of all time and eternity wants to come close to us, and the language of that relationship is prayer. Do you understand? It just blows my mind that that's what he wants, and yet that's what it is. Prayer is that connection to him. Another principle of prayer is you don't look for feelings in it. You look for God. And this is totally a pushing against a religion that comes out of us naturally. We're always looking for a way to feel better about this reality. And yet, the point of it is not feelings. Will you feel? Yes. Will you feel sometimes? Yes. But not all the time, but you always get him. You always get God. And so, uh, we don't look for feelings. We look for God. Here's another principle of prayer. It's not something you accomplish in a year. It's a journey of a lifetime. This is where it kills me because I'm a project guy, right? It's a project. I don't do projects well. And I'm a horrible hobby guy. Hobbies are meant to be enjoyed over time with no finish line. That doesn't work for me. I kill myself to finish hobbies. And so when somebody says, okay, prayer, okay, prayer, I write it on a page and I squint my eyes and I go work at it, and then I get frustrated that it isn't moving down the field fast enough for me. But prayer isn't necessarily a destination. It's a journey. So we are becoming like Christ every day we live. We are becoming more of a God-centered, prayerful people every day we live. Fair? And so you should look at your life and go, well, I'm not what I will be, but I'm better than I used to be. Fair? In prayer, you should be able to do that. Other principle of prayer is that um, it's without pretense. In other words, come messy messy nothing nothing exposes us more clearly than prayer. so when you sit down maybe maybe it's some event maybe for you it's some crisis that's when you bend your knee and you start praying and then suddenly you feel selfish for doing it and then you measure your own spiritual life and you feel dry because you haven't chased hard after him you're just you're just in a crisis and and sometimes you feel powerless, like you haven't been walking in the power that he provides. And so the heart, the human heart says, hey, 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 don't do this. This is so hypocritical of you. Don't sit here and pray now. You had no interest in God before. Why don't you get over here and become soft again? Why don't you sit it out over here and learn some more or conjure up some more affections for God? And then, then, then you can come back and God will measure you and assess you and see how that goes. Um, but prayer isn't that, Church. The guy, uh, Paul Miller, who wrote A Praying Life, he puts it this way to come overwhelmed, come with a wandering mind, come messy. That's what prayer is. God understands our distractions. He really does. He wants to be greater, He wants to be more. He will. But if we refuse to come until we feel like we got it all figured out and all wired, we'll never come. So we come, we come messy we also, another principle is we bring our helplessness to God. Prayer is the, is a great um, alignment tool. When you pray, you're absolutely convinced how small and puny you are. And the things that you pray for are, are impossible and absurd if there isn't an almighty responding to these prayers. And it, so it focuses on our helplessness. And, and another truth about it is you don't need self-discipline to pray continuously. You just need to be poor in spirit. The gospel starts that way, doesn't it, church? When Jesus was first teaching on him, he talked about happiness. That's the true word, or blessedness of having him, and he talks about it this way. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, right? So there is something about brokenness that God is really into, that the human heart is met by the eternal love of the Father when it's most broken over its condition, poor, God, I got nothing to offer. I got no wisdom, no abilities, no performance, no righteousness. I got nothing. I got nothing here. So in your prayers, when you're praying and you come empty-handed, like truly empty, I don't have a good week behind me, God. I don't have a Bible study for the last year, God. I don't have anything, God. I'm just here. I'm just the loser that you saved. That's where God shows up in prayer. He shows up in poor in spirit. So those are... Maybe some conditions around prayer, but let's get more specific about what the Bible says about realities of it. Here's the first one, that it must be offered in faith. Remember what the writer of Hebrews said in chapter 11, without faith it's impossible to please God. Somehow this faith thing, walking without seeing, believing what I can't touch, is a part of the journey of faith. In fact, if you go to James chapter one, when he's talking and working the church through the idea of, of suffering through trials and you get all done, you can't blame God for the trial you're going to because you've been drugged away and enticed by your own evil desires. But if you lack wisdom, ask God. Remember, he says, you pray for that stuff, God will give it to you. Ask in faith, don't doubt. Because if you doubt and you're praying, you're like a man stuck in the middle of the sea being tossed and thrown based on the ways, right? So there's something about faith in prayer. So it must be offered in faith. Here's the second thing. It must be offered in humility. Acts uh, chapter 18, 9 through 14, there's a wonderful story of a uh, a Pharisee and a tax collector. So, so let me, I don't know if you know those stories, but let me bring you a little bit closer. Pharisee would be the religious... The humanly religious perfect, (laughs) this person has it wired. Whoever you respect, whoever has it, whoever's gotten there, this Pharisee represents that type of person. The tax collector isn't a noble profession, it's a trader profession. This is a guy who turned on his own people for money and profit. He was considered the ultimate loser in their society. So ultimate religious, ultimate loser are praying. And in this story, you see this religious guy looking up at heaven saying, God, I thank you, you made me. In fact, I'm so glad I'm better than that guy. Right? And his arrogance, his puffed up nature. And the story shifts to the tax collector, the loser. And all he can do is look down and beat his chest and say, God, just have mercy on me because I'm a sinner. And the text tells us where God shows up. He shows up there in humility. He shows up in brokenness. And so a tax collector has nothing to show for his life, nothing to show for his faith. He's just there with all of his junk and all of his gore. Does anybody in here relate to that? Anybody? I know we're too cool and too smart to admit it, but, but we're all that. You would not expose your needs or your 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 brokenness, but therein lies some of the challenge because we present ourselves in ways we want people to think about us, and that also gets in the way of a prayerful, humble dependency because we we play the game with people too often to live and walk broken. And yet, humbleness is, is the attitude. Here's the third prayer reality. It must be offered according to God's will. First John, John says this in chapter 5. If we ask anything according to his will, he'll give it. So somehow praying or living in, walking in, praying in the, the work and the will of God means that my heart is aligned to the will of God. That means I'll pray the prayers of God and that means the prayers of God will be answered. Make sense? So somehow that reality is there. We pray according to his will. The fourth reality of, of prayer is it must be offered by right hearts. Now I want you to listen. Right hearts, not perfect hearts. <laughs> this is where Satan wants to move us away from truth. He, he's absolutely selling this lie. That, that you have to be right enough to pray. It's not true, church. Just like you can't be right enough to be saved. Just like you can't be right enough to hang on to your salvation. You can't be right enough for anything when it comes to the topic of God. Nothing. So what it means is that we keep short accounts with sin and we come to God as the messy people that we are. First Peter 3 says, the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayers. Where do we get our righteousness from, church? You can say it. Jesus. Jesus. Did you work for it? Can you work for it? Can you hang on to it? No. He gives it. He gives it freely. Righteousness not of our own, one of his. And so, the ears of the Lord are open to the righteous prayers of his people. So that's us. Here's another truth. They must be offered with thankful hearts. Do do not be anxious about anything but, but... By prayer, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Now, I told you this before. I don't know if we can prove it, but I love to talk about it. Um, I wonder sometimes if a thankful heart is the key to sinless living. (laughs) How do you sin if you're thankful? About everything. When? Like if you're thankful for your own life, you won't lust. If you're thankful for what you have, you won't covet. If you're thankful all the time about everything God has given you, when are you going to go, I'm going to fix it with sin? (laughs) Now, this is my opinion. I think it's very, very hard. And so the scriptures imply this attitude of thankfulness in our prayers. So if we're coming, not whining, not complaining, but thankful for what God has done, is doing in the midst of it, that's, that's a quality of prayer. There's, there's one last one I want to mention to you, and that is that it must be offered persistently. First Thessalonians says, pray without ceasing somehow the mindset of prayer. Now, it doesn't mean your eyes are closed all the time in a prayer meeting. It just means that your mind is never disengaged with the Spirit of God and what He's doing. You're in a situation, I have this happen all the time, temptation comes on me, and I'll just say, help God, help now. I don't know what else to say. I mean, He already knows my story. He knows what I mean by help, and I want delivery right now. (laughs) Help. I'm always connected like that. And, uh, or sometimes when I'm praying for you, I don't know precisely how to pray, but say, God, give them exactly what they need, right? God bless them today. Don't think long. Don't be drawn out, you know, King James Version prayers. They don't have to be that. Just say it and, and say it often. Pray continually. So um, I wanted to take us through a little experience here because everything I've just told you, you go, yeah, that's right. Sounds right. heard that before. And so you're, you're all caught up in the, the mood of prayer. Why do you pray? There are some truths about it. We're commanded to pray. These are imperative terms that, that Paul gives us, right? Pray without ceasing. So there are, there are things that are tangible things the church should do, replicate, become. So th- it, there's a command element to it, but it's not like God is going, okay, do this. You're not gonna have any fun in it. You're not going to enjoy it at all. you got to climb out of your own pit. Just pray because it's a command. Although it's an imperative, um, I think there's a different heart behind it. There's another reason why you pray, and that is because we need it. I mean, I, I think the Holy Spirit, when he was penning the scriptures, picked the perfect illustrations to describe us, and one of the descriptions are that we're blind people. We have limited ability to see what God is doing and how he's done it. And so here's what I know about having no sight. I was remembering this a couple of weeks ago. Somebody was talking about, I think it was Brett Osborne. He goes to our church, and he was down in a cave um, in Tucson or something. I, no, not Tucson. I can't remember where he went. But I started to remember the time I went spelunking in a cave down in Tucson. I couldn't see anything. Hated every minute of it. Dumbest thing I ever did. But if that's what it's like spiritually to not know what God is doing and how he's doing it, what he wants to accomplish in my life, then my dependency in prayer has to grow. You understand? I have limited ability. I think these plans are right. I think these plans have have success in them. I think those people are the right people. I have no idea. I don't have any idea specifically. And so God says, hey, listen, you have limited sight. So pray. Pray. We need it. Just like kids The other thing, it changes us. You've heard this before, haven't you? You've heard about how prayer does the boomerang effect on us. We're there because we want something from God to fix some issue with our life or for someone's life. And suddenly God is transforming us, even the activity of prayer. So um, I believe prayer grows our faith because sometimes God's answers, although perfect time for him have a tendency not to be for us sometimes and so we have to learn what we call God is faithful and and I'm held secure and so he grows our faith in a patient way in the midst of praying. Um, I think our dependency is grown which is really the father child analogy of scripture that we're always dependent on what the father provides we have no other provision apart from him and so we uh, pray and, and depend and we depend and we pray and we wait and we wait and our dependence is grown over time by his faithfulness we grow in our trust we grow in our patience it proves our faith I've been challenging even in my prayers like what do I really believe in (laughs) what do I really believe in when I'm praying you know And, and so I think it proves some of those truths the other reality about why I pray is it now I want you to get this one it Changes things. Now, I don't know where you stand with your uh, understanding of soteriology or salvation or how man is made right with God. Um, We teach here that God is sovereign in salvation. and And there's, you know, different labels people put on that. But if you believe in the doctrines of grace, I think the church has forever hidden behind sovereignty when it comes to its prayer life. Hey, if he's sovereign, if he's going to do what he does, why bother praying? Why bother praying for that? Like, no worries, no stress. Although Jesus saw the lost and wept, and he's the savior of the world, somehow sovereignty for us makes us calloused and hard and cold. I think think we as the church who understands clearly how powerful God is need to understand the reality of prayer and what it changes more than anybody else. Agreed? So, it changes things. It does things. So, the reality of it is, um, God is immutable. He doesn't change. But prayer changes things. I've wrestled with ways to describe, um, maybe illustrate for you how it changes things. I think sometimes a, a picture is worth a thousand words. Why don't you watch this?
1: I wonder if you're listening. I cried out to you when I felt him start to wander. When he started to become distant, I believed that you could bring him back, but still, he moved further away. I cried out to you when I became suspicious, when I could no longer believe the best. Yet I felt no peace, and my anxiety grew. I prayed when it looked like all was lost, like it was all over. All my hopes, all my dreams, our life together and our marriage. But I know who you are. I know you can heal, you can repair, you can restore. I know with you all things can be made new.
0: prayer change things? It does. God can do amazing things in his sovereignty in our story. You know, we use a a phrase to describe his sovereignty. He either causes or allows all things. So let me tell you where prayer fits in this. If it's something that God is causing, then it is, um, God's will will be done. But if it's something he's allowing, he's waiting for us to ask. Do you understand, church? get involved in the things that he is, he's doing. And so there are, there are moments where maybe our belief in the, in the experience we're going through is greater than our belief in God. And we need to fight through the challenge and understand that prayer does change things. I, I, I was fanning through the scriptures this week, just reminding myself of all the amazing, true narratives of answered prayer, ridiculous answers of prayer. And I know we have a tendency to go, well, that, yeah, that's the Bible. I'm living real life <laughs> But, but this is God, who's never changed. It always was um, moving in the lives of His people. If you go back in Scripture, you will see moments and times like Joshua's life, where he prayed for the sun to stand still, and it did. <laughs> that seems pretty ridiculous. If you get a little bit farther into Second Kings, you will see uh, Israel's king Hezekiah, who was dealing with the Assyrian uh, the army and the obvious de- devastation that would be to Jerusalem and he prayed and somehow in the middle of the night an angel of the Lord took out 185,000 Assyrians without raising a sword. Hezekiah, a righteous king, um, the prophet said, you're gonna die, you're gonna die soon and Hezekiah prayed and God gave him 15 more years to live. I love this story. In, in, in Acts the um, early church has kind of gotten off the ground, but it's still dealing with the fresh persecution of, of the haters of Christ in them. And so Herod was out to destroy the church, and he'd already taken James and crucified him. And, and so here they are now arresting Peter, and Peter's in jail, and the church gets together and prays for Peter. Remember the story? And they're going, God, save our brother Peter. And behind the scenes, here's the angel of the Lord releasing Peter. The chains fall off, he's, and Peter ends up back at the house, right? And he's knocking on the door. Rhonda opens the door, opens the door, and it's Peter. And she goes, holy cow. She goes back to the prayer meeting. Hey, by the way, Peter's at, Peter's at the door. And the prayer said, no, 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 couldn't be. No. God doesn't do that stuff. And, and over and over and over and over again, all throughout the scriptures, are these examples of God doing crazy stuff that only he can do in prayer. So why pray? Why pray? Is God doing things? Absolutely. He changes things. Those things that he's allowing, he's waiting for us to get involved with. So let me give you just some guidelines, some like some benefits to your prayer life. I want you to pray and believe. In spite of what you see and what it tells you can't happen, I want you to pray and believe. I want you to pray big. I think some of our challenges with prayer is that we've shrunk God to his inability, right? So he is the creator, sustainer, uh, ruler of all the kingdom. And uh, so sometimes we are afraid to pray big things. I want you to pray as big as God. So what thing in your life are you afraid to ask God of? Pray that way. And I want you to pray small, too. What I mean by that is this, that sometimes we think that some of our details are just too small for God. But Jesus, when he was teaching us how to pray, uh, made this amazing, absurd statement that all of his listeners were offended by. He said, when you pray, pray this way, Abba, Father. I'm a dad. There wasn't anything my kid couldn't tell me. There's not one little detail. I don't care what it is that I wouldn't sit to listen to. And God is that times 10 when it comes to the details of our lives. He wants to know what you're thinking and how you're feeling, what you're doing. So pray big, pray to the size of God, pray small to the size of his fatherhood in your life, and then pray a lot. There's no getting around this. Pray a lot. Um, This week, uh, we started this essential elements discussion And uh, we have, uh, we've put together a booklet for you called the uh, Building a Stronger Church, of which inside of it is all the essential elements and our responses to them. Remember what I said in the beginning, we don't want to just know more stuff. We want to do more stuff. And so in in the section on prayer, you will see our responses to prayer. These are our attempts to put um, our feet to the ground with prayer. Not just to leave here going, wasn't prayer? Yeah, we should probably pray. We'll, we'll pray. Some, someday we'll pray. I want to put it in your life enough so that we can now live it. So let me give you some things that we're, we're going to do. Um, we started, or I started, uh, the beginning of May this year, a prayer meeting. And, uh, and in that prayer meeting, uh, I sat alone for quite a few weeks because I didn't invite anybody. Because I want to make sure that I had the guts to pray. And since then, I've invited some staff people, so we're up at probably about 13 or so, maybe, on a regular basis. But I'm now inviting everybody in this room and in the conference center to come pray with me. On Wednesday nights, we pray from 7 to 8, one hour. We hit the bell at 7, and we leave at 8. So if you come late, you're going to be out. So just, just know that right up front. I want you to be there. I want you all to be there. Um, I want to give you a little bit probably more winnable scenario. Some of you look at prayer, the rest of our life, really, Wednesdays, I don't know kind of a big commitment. So, um, we're putting together a four-week prayer challenge in February. February 6th, 13th, 20th, and 27th, I would, I'm asking our church to gather to pray, to pray over these essential elements and these realities that we want to see in our life, and I'm inviting you to be there for that. Commit to one month with us in the conference center, seven to eight, on Wednesday nights. Um, so, we also are putting together a praise and prayer night on March 1st, 7, uh, o'clock to 8.30. I think it's a Friday night. We'll gather together and sing some songs about the, the, the topics that we're praying into, and then we're going to gather to pray. We're going to have a prayer walk around the new construction of this building that we believe God will use for his glory and his kingdom, and that's going to happen in the morning of April 13th a.m., 8 o'clock. Um, I'm challenging you to start a prayer journal. Now, I've never been one to write down how I feel about much of anything. But I know this. If I don't track what God is doing in the request that I'm asking, then I miss out on the journey of his power in my life. So I'm just encouraging you. I don't care if it's a napkin. I don't care if it's the back of a receipt. Write down what God has asked you to ask and then ask, just keep it around long enough to see God answer it. Um, there's a couple other things that I want to give you in this, uh, in this uh, becoming a praying church. There's some tools that we have found that I'd like you to... If you're into it, we have a couple of these examples on the the screen here. We have found a great little application for iPhones called the Prayer Notebook, which allows you just to have a kind of a tutorial through prayer. It keeps you on point, keeps you the requests asked and and, and requests made. If you've not yet come to Christ and you need an Android app, um, (laughs) just a joke, prayer popper, (laughs) Um, is the same thing for Android. So it, it, we're, we want you to get these things, download them, use them. They will help you. Back in the day, we always had three by five cards. I used to care about cards all the time. Um, these are way more helpful tools because they come after you. You can put them in your calendar. They'll open up right away based on time and dates, and things like that. We also have in the bookstore some books that we would love for you to pick up. Uh, one I will highly recommend because I've read this one: "A Praying Life" by uh, Paul Miller. Um, some of the thoughts that I share with you this morning, he talks about, and, and much, much more. And one of the, here's one of the challenges with prayer, to be honest with you, and I didn't say this, but you know what what I think we struggle with is no examples. I grew up I grew up in a home that had prayer meeting every Wednesday night, but prayer meetings dried up, dried up a long, long time ago. And to be honest with you, if I had to go find somebody I know right now who prayed, like I think the Bible says we're supposed to pray, I don't know anybody. So I want to be that man, but I think we can be those people. And, uh, and yet I'm reading, uh, I'm reading uh, Paul Miller's book on prayer, and he seems like a guy like that. So maybe through a book we can climb on somebody else's shoulders and learn about prayer. The other, the other book is not on the screen. It's uh, by Bill Hybels, uh, Too Busy Not to Pray. Um, these are in the bookstore this morning. If you want to grab them, add them to your growing understanding of prayer, conviction of prayer, devotion in prayer, I, I think it would be a great, a great thought. Um, And as we close today, I want you to know that this booklet, this uh, Building a Stronger Church booklet will be at every door when you leave. The guest services will make sure you get one. I want you to take it. I want you to spend some time with it. The front half of it is all a discussion on the essential elements, uh, elements and our response to them. So you can get comfortable with where we're going and what we're going to do and hold each other accountable to. The back half of it is is a tutorial through the building that we're asking God to grow us in, the ways to give, creative ideas in giving, and the goal uh, of what we're looking for on Commitment Sunday on on, uh, March 3rd. Um, I've been praying a long time uh, for prayer. And I'm kind of convinced that of all the things that we've got in our essential elements, and that's why we decided to start with it, If there's one thing that will change all other things and affect everything else that we're asking God to do, it would be if God's people prayed. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. God, I thank you for your faithfulness to us and your commitment to us. I thank you that you are our Father God and that there isn't anything too big for you and there's nothing in our lives too small that you wouldn't care about. God, make us into a praying people fully devoted to you. Uh, God, make us a kind of people who pray first and listen long and watch you do great things in our life. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.